Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. I'm really excited today because, you know, one of my favorite subjects is food. You know, we all love food. We we were at the grocery store, and they have, like, tons of magazines at the front, and it's always got beautiful pictures of food. And I know when I was on dialysis for 13 years, it was sometimes often difficult to even indulge a little bit because you were so afraid of, am I going to have too much potassium, too much phosphorus, and has it got too much sodium in it? And today we're speaking to John Vito, and he was on dialysis for several years, has a kidney transplant, and he wrote a book called Cooking for Your Kidneys. So we're going to talk about food today. Yay. Welcome to the show, John. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. So tell us a little bit about, you know, your journey um, to, unfortunately, having kidney failure. Well, I was one of the... um I was one of the individuals who just wasn't aware of my kidney failure. Uh, I had, um, I was operating one restaurant at the time and I was opening up a second and uh, got it. And that's a, it's a difficult task. And, and I thought I was just exhausted and tired all the time. It accounted for my weight loss, et cetera. And I opened it up and had ran it for about a year and then had kind of an acute uh, situation and was in the hospital and realized that, uh, I had long-term uh, declining kidney function, but I wasn't aware of it. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, it was an immediate dialysis situation and I spent about five and a half years on that. Uh, I had to eventually or very soon close the restaurants and then recently had my transplant. So, um, when were you on in-center hemodialysis or did you choose to do home? I went to in-center. My nephrologist was not, uh, he wasn't pushing home for me. Well, boo on him. <laughs> well, you know, and I didn't know much different at the time. So, but I'm, there's a bright side, I think, for me, and it's in part represented in the book, is that I had an opportunity to interact, you know, every other day with many patients. It isn't always the case, I think, at in-center where you almost socialized, but um, we, we had that opportunity. And it helped me learn a lot about not just my condition, but this newness that I was, the new condition I was going through and what others were going through as well. So you're a professional chef. And when you started to approach the kidney diet, what obstacles did you encounter? And tell us a little bit how you overcome them. Well, at first, you know, it's a pretty big shock. And so there's some adjustments just getting used to that part. But then you learn, uh, you know, at first, when you deal with your dietitian and your doctor, you know, it's it's one-on-one and and they're trying to help guide you, even though they give you some of the generalities. Um, But what I did find um, through that uh, aspect of of in-center was that everybody else had slightly different issues. Um, We weren't all the same. In other words, I may have been suffering from high phosphorus uh, in my in my diet, and my my body wasn't getting rid of it. But the person next to me had no phosphorus issues, and was uh, had only potassium issues. Another person on my other side, again, you know, these are things we just talked about because right. we got to know each other. Exactly. And the other person had a hard time with protein levels, um, but didn't have any uh, potassium issues, but had some phosphorus. So it, it was the diversity of every patient that really caught my attention. 
and and made me understand with the dietitian how difficult the diet is for 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 CKD patients and those on dialysis because of all of the unique um, aspects of each individual and the complexity of the ailments uh, that they pose. Well, and it's so difficult because if you aren't used to reading food labels, and a lot of times, you know, it's difficult to determine where the phosphorus is. You have to know the little code words like phosphate, you know, with 20 letters after it or something like that. And um, it can be difficult to, you know, want to be creative in the kitchen because I like to cook. And sometimes it can be difficult because what's intuitive to be healthy for people who have kidney disease isn't always um, right for people who are on dialysis. And I have sometimes I have a hard time explaining that to people. Like, you know, I can't eat all the fruits and vegetables I want when I'm on dialysis. I have to be careful of potassium. So uh, right, and you really have you really have to relearn everything that you knew exactly. about food and diet um, for your particular situation, and that's the other part is it's not a universal, and exactly. that's one of the things that um, caught me. So you and I could have this, you know, be be you know during our time on dialysis, we we would have we could have completely different dietary programs based on our our needs because they vary so much. So tell me, John, what made you decide to write a book called Cooking for Your Kidneys? I, I would love to tell you it was completely altruistic, uh, but it was really just me learning about how I could survive. And when I was in center, my my co-patients quickly realized I was a chef and I owned restaurants, and they started asking me questions, and that kind of got me researching more about it. So, in part, it started as how do I keep myself healthy, and what can I what can I do to help myself? Um, and then it started in well, how can these other people help them if they're asking me questions. How can I help them? And it just kind of grew from there. And it, there's so many cookbooks available either through dialysis organizations or nutritionists that, you know, they, they provide a great deal of information and it's the beginning steps, I think. You know, there's a lot of repetitiveness, but it's because, you know, these are the basic things we need to learn. But I thought there was another level, and that other level came from my experiences in the restaurant business and understanding things like, well, chicken isn't just chicken. In other words, there are, there are ways you can buy chicken at, for yourself at home that can be very helpful or not as helpful. Um, and I wanted to expose that just through my buying experience uh, and my exposure to so many different aspects in the, in the business. Well, and one of the the chapters I like the best in your book, and I was kind of, you know, going through it, and I don't know about you, but I absolutely love tacos. I, oh, you know, oh my goodness, like tacos are so versatile, and you can, you know, use lettuce in place of the shell. So, could you tell me about some of your favorite tacos? Because it's getting time for lunch. It's getting time for lunch. Well, Unfortunately, I have a seafood allergy, which it, it accelerates um, some of my problems because uh, I, it, it developed later in life. Um, but I used to like things like that. But I, I'm, um, I stick with some of the basics. You know, I like the very, very fresh vegetables and fruits that I can get in there when you get, when you get different types of things called fruits. Um, but I'm a real simple guy. You know, I'd like either a coles- some kind of cabbage-based product. I like to make a crema 
and um, you know some kind of protein that I feel like for the day. And I like to, and I also like, of course, a little salsa. So, you know, I like to tweak it a little bit and and see what I have if I have something left over and kind of throw it together. Um, I don't know if I have any particular favorites. It's really about how I feel that day. You know, one of the things that's renal friendly, I guess, is coleslaw. And coleslaw yeah. makes everything so tasty. Uh, you know, when you put some chicken or, you know, in my case, I do like fish and shrimp and then just some lime and you have like right. a, yeah. and a little bit of salsa and it satisfies the texture, the taste. And, and I think that's what um, I had to learn over the years is that you need the different textures to be satisfied when you eat. Like if you have all mashed rice and all kinds of soft food, it doesn't really appeal as much. You have to be understand that because the different textures, isn't that correct, as a chef, is what satisfies oh, a- ab- you. Absolutely. You know, when you put together a dish, whether it's a single item or whether you're putting together like a combination of a, a whole meal, um, you're, you're always focused on how do you... How do you combine different aspects of the palate and flavors and, and, and certainly the texture issues? Uh, you want to have crunch. You want to have just that hardiness of whether it's a mushroom or a meat product. Um, but you really want to mix them up and combine them in the right, in the right uh, you know, area. Uh, and that's not easy to do, uh, and everybody has some different tastes, but I think that's a universal. We like that, that texture difference. Exactly. And you also talk about chicken tikka marsala. And I like your yes. recipe because it's um, it, it gives you that little bit of flavor, and then you can tweak it a little bit for how much sodium you want in it. But you can have rice and peas, and there you have your renal-friendly meal, right? <laughs> you do. And, and, you know, part of the, the – what I tried to do is take a look at the, the, the – I used what I saw in the clinic, the different people from all different backgrounds and all different palates. And I wanted to make sure that we both addressed – the specifics from different types of diets and also introduce other people to new flavors because we're constantly looking for ways to add flavor without sodium and, and using spice mixtures. And I wanted to address some things that people may not be familiar with. That's why I went with some of the tikka recipes. And I also wanted to bring in, you know, the popular, you know, which is um, tacos. I mean, it's, it's an enormously popular item. Um, everywhere. And I, one of the issues, and I think it's pointed out pretty clearly, is that the standard taco shell, that tortilla shell, is really high in sodium. And often, if you, if you buy, if you go to a stand uh, or a taco truck and you get uh, the corn tacos, corn tortilla, they're not as stable as the flour. So sometimes they double wrap. And when they do that, you know, your sodium level can be as high as 30% of your recommended daily allowance just in the pre-made taco shell. And that's before you get to all the good stuff in the middle. And that's a lot of sodium. Have you found any taco shell brands that are lower in sodium? There's a couple that go down to around 10%, but you have to read your labels. You know, the the common sense should say that if it's sitting in a bag on a shelf, not refrigerated, and um, that there's probably some additives in there that make it stable shelf-stable, and usually sodium for dry products is one that you're going to find in, in high levels. And, dr- and wet ingredients, it's often vinegar. Well, I'm you know, gonna, those, are, those are, are preservatives. 
I'm going to have to check Trader Joe's because I bought some um, tortillas there, and they don't last very long at all. Um, they're, they're like little green spots. Of, I know. I'm <laughs> like, if it's moldy, it's a good sign, right? So I'll well, have to check the sodi- sodium. Yeah, um, because, uh, you know, you get a pack of tortillas at the grocery store, and they can last, you know, several weeks. And then, you know, the one I bought at Trader Joe's was like in, you know, a week. It's like, you 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 know, it's done. Um, you have to make sure that you um, finish it. Uh, <laughs> I know it's good to know. I mean, there's so many things you have to look at from sodium to uh, – and, and corn is better than flour when it comes to phosphorus, which um, I love fl- flour, but corn is a better choice. Um, tell us a little bit about crockpot cooking. I see some some information about barbecue beef and crockpot, and – uh, tell us about well, that's how another you would one make of those uh, kind of what I would call uh, convenience issues. Um, it's, you uh, know as well as I that when you're on dialysis, the the idea of cooking meals can be so very difficult. Um, I found myself unable to get out of a chair to move to the kitchen to to try to cook on day at dialysis days. And I don't think often that doctors and dietitians can really understand that uh, overwhelming kind of weight that doesn't let you move. So the crockpot cooking idea allows you to kind of make meals ahead of time and freeze things. So that's one great aspect. And again, if you can control the ingredients going in, you'll know what's in there. But there's another little part to that. Um, and in, there's a long chart in the back of the book, and it represents the phosphorus to protein levels. Um, and, and it gets a little, I know that a lot of this is complex, but when you're in dialysis or on CKD, these things become, you, you learn more and more about them. And um, if you're on dialysis, you generally need more protein. And if you're a pre-dialysis, they often want you to restrict protein. So it's good to have the information about how much. But one of the interesting things about crockpot cooking is it's, it's similar to um, stewing. And what happens is, the um, just like in a vegetable, when you boil it, you lose some of the nutrients. When you cook meat, a protein, in a fluid that's not completely covered, a lot of the phosphorus seeps into that liquid. So you get lower phosphorus levels for your for good amounts of protein, and that's what we look for when you're a dialysis patient. Um, so that can be very helpful. And crockpot cooking is essentially that when you have some liquid in it. So, uh, if so like, I, I often like that. So you drain when you're draining the the liquid off of the meat because it's. Um, I like an instapot. Um, I don't know if you've used an instapot. It's I haven't used them, but they're very similar. They have just multiple uses. Yeah, yeah they just steam really quickly, and you know I make all my dog food mostly, but um, I do cook in it, and it's phenomenal because you could take like frozen chicken and throw it in there and put like a cup of water or half a cup of water and it's done in an hour hour and a half and it's just delicious uh yeah, you're raising then, the temperature in there that's one of yeah the it's that pressure it. cooker right. that the pressure right our, exactly what it does yeah. our family you know it would be dangerous because you know you'd have a pressure cooker in your kitchen and it could explode and you know put a hole in the roof but they've they yeah, basically the <laughs> they basically made it foolproof for for us which is good because um I don't think I would like a pressure cooker in my kitchen if it could could take out the ceiling um yes so I tell agree with you. <laughs> do you have a, a specific way you like to prepare food um to get more flavor out of it um, there's a couple different um, tricks I use. Um, 
One in particular is with sodium. It's such a, I think maybe that's a good way to start things because it's such an important aspect of the diet, uh, for, for both, uh, you know, for CKD patients at all levels. And this may be, sound a little complex, but I'll try to, I think I can make it really simple. Okay, great. In the, in the past, we used to think that salt, uh, salt had a specific part of the tongue and, you know, the, the salt, sweet, sour, et cetera. We, we thought it was a separate aspect of the tongue, but really, it was just a good teaching model. And, and we get all the flavors everywhere, just some are a little more predominant. And one little aspect about removing salt from food is that it becomes bland, right? We just know when food right. is, just doesn't seem to have that Yeah, taste. when you're in the hospital, yep. <laughs> oh, Lord, right. That's just so bad. <laughs> but really, one of the... So salt, and so salt adds all this flavor, but it does it in two ways. One, it has its own flavor, um, to be honest, and it, it can have some of the minerals from the areas where it was developed. But in addition, what they found is that it actually uh, excites a lot of region, a lot of the taste buds and different, and different types of taste buds in the mouth. So, for instance, if you ate a piece of broccoli, uh, you could taste it in certain parts of your mouth. But if you add a little salt to it, it seems to taste better. But it's in part due to the fact that the salt excites more of your taste buds. So it accepts more flavors that it wouldn't normally accept from the broccoli. So you have this perception of more flavor. Does that make sense? It does. And then if you add a little sweet to it, you even go at another level, right? <laughs> exactly. But the salt, the salt really excites what normally wouldn't get excited to taste the broccoli. So what, and so that's step one to know that part. And here's the other part. As a chef, we're taught to, to salt and pepper progressively throughout the meal, throughout the cooking process so that it's, uh, it's a, it, it comes through the whole meal and through the whole dish. Again, the same process by exciting the taste buds and then you get more flavor. But one of the things I'll do is I, I use salt at the at the very end when I serve it, if I need to add flavor, and I usually do that with the larger pieces of salt. So here's the second stage. The, the table salt we use hits your mouth and dissipates very quickly, and it doesn't have the same impact. So you might add more. That's why you salt at every level when you cook, because with those with table salt. But the larger grains, whether you use kosher or a kind of a rock, not rock salt, but the heavier size salt, they take longer to actually dissipate in your tongue, so you don't need to add more sodium. So you're getting the same impact with a higher flavor for longer periods of time with less sodium. Hmm. That, 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 it does. That it fairly... does. It makes sense because I guess it's like um, the, if there's so many little pebbles on the the beach. I'm thinking of that the sand. Like you're stepping on it, and you may not feel all of them. But if you're on like a couple of pebble of rocks they have this is a totally bad analogy um i'm I'll trying to think um, of shaved I think ice I, versus an ice cube okay there we go shaved that's a much better analogy very quickly and it goes away and you would need more and but um, an ice cube kind of lingers in there for a while yeah exactly and and people and this is me as like i knew all the places that had the right type of ice when i was on dialysis and the right crunch mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the right water um, I know it's it's very very interesting. Do you um, cook with Mrs. Dash? That was one of my go-to seasonings. I don't, but I see that in every one of the recipes, and I think it's great because it's they they've assessed it. It's pretty healthy. It, I like to I like more control. <laughs> okay, as part of yeah, being yeah. a chef for all my life, 
I want I want to be the one who decides the proportion of whatever's going in there for spices, whether they're dry or fresh. Uh, and that's really the only reason. It's just all of that experience. Um, and I'm pretty sure they don't even have any of the other sodiums in there. Exactly. Uh, and this is Dash, so it's, it's pretty good. And I highly recommend it. I see it in almost every one of the cookbooks for kidney yeah. patients. Well, you know, um, I would cook asparagus. Um, I like asparagus in the pan because I don't like it steamed, but I like it to get a little charred. And if you yeah. throw some Mrs. Dash on it, it's it's delicious. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes use a little cooking sherry. And I don't know sure. if that's like a secret, but it just makes everything taste better. Or maybe, is there any truth to that? Well, it has a very specific flavor. And, and I like using cooking wines, um, but I think it's a good idea. One of the things I do when I use something like a sherry or a wine or even a balsamic vinaigrette, is I like to reduce it first and really concentrate the flavors. And you're just kind of removing some of that water and okay. some of the other liquid. And uh, and that really can add a nice boost to flavor um, is like, like a little cooking tip. You know, the other thing that I do, and I mentioned it in the book quite a bit, and there's a whole section dedicated to it, is uh, to really enhance flavor because we're trying to reduce sodium but find ways to bring in more flavor is I tend to use fresh grated real Parmesan cheese. And in part because the fresh, first of all, Parmesan cheese is a, is a great, wonderful flavor. It adds a little nuttiness. Um, it can be sharp. It, it has a lot of great t- uh, a- ways to add on, including to vegetables. And um, especially once they're cooked, then you just throw it on instead of salt. Now, it has a little sodium, but it certainly doesn't have as much. But one of the things you, what people do is they tend to buy that pre-graded version, and often that has some fillers in it, and it's already started to lose some of its flavor. So that's kind of another trick that I use quite often. I always have a, a block of imported fresh Parmigiano-Reggiano because there's no additives, and it has great, powerful flavor. And then I use something called a microplane to grate it because it creates very, very fine in a, um, piece, uh, pieces and grating and also, and then for you don't get as much as well, but you don't need it because the flavor is so strong. Now, what about herbs? Is there an herb that you, uh, you have a go-to herb? I use all of the herbs, <laughs> <laughs> so, especially if I can get them fresh. Um, and it really varies. It, so, you know, it, it, there are earthy style herbs, there are fresh, lemony style herbs. So it kind of depends on what I'm cooking. But fresh herbs is, is a very uh, powerful force for adding flavor as opposed to dry in most cases. The nutrient value is a little higher at times, too. Well, and I love, um, I bought some of that Meyer lemon oil. Oh, sure. Oh, my God. It is so good. Like, you can go to those oil stores, and they have all these different flavors, and you come home with way too many oils, and I still, I don't know how to use them all correctly, but, um, you know, we have so many options now. Yeah, and it's true. And, you know, the one thing I suggest with oils is don't buy a lot unless you're going to use it. Sometimes people forget that you know oils and oil. A good olive oil has a shelf life, so not like a wine where you can keep it forever. It's going to go bad, so you want to use them fast, or you know buy as much as you're going to use in a in a short period of time. And, and almost always they have a, a date on there that tells you when it's freshest by, and that kind of preserves the flavor. And then you won't be using other things to add to it. 
but I like those oils too. And do you have a favorite cooking show? Because I don't know, when I'm recovering from surgery or something, um, I don't know why I always want to watch cooking shows. I think I got through my double knee replacement watching Iron Chef. I mean, you know, I mean, I loved Iron Chef and uh, what's the other one? Chopped? (laughs) Chopped. So you like the competitive shows, I guess so. I like the competitive ones where they... uh, uh, I think there's two categories. You know, they have the competitive shows and then they have the ones um, where they're just showing you how to do something. And because I've been so involved with the cooking for so many years, I mean, over 23 years I've been doing this, I always go to those shows without the competition because they give you all the information. Right. Sometimes when I watch the shows, I mean, they're entertaining. But I'm not getting all the info I want from what exactly. they're cooking. Exactly. So. <laughs> you know, they got like squash and octopus and all these things. They got to put them yeah, together. You, and so. Right. What did you exactly do? That's what I want to know. <laughs> exactly. I guess. Uh, good point. I, I see yeah. that because it's. Uh, but they're, they're very good. They're, they're just fun to watch and food. You know, there's so many great shows now that. Uh, and, and I was talking to a, a, a dietitian at a dialysis unit, and she was saying inevitably most people watch cooking shows during dialysis, which um, I, I don't know because most of the stuff probably, you know, is not good for us, how they cook. But, um, you know, food is such a big part of life. I mean, you know, that's what it we eat three a times a day, life. like minimum. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you get your book, Cooking for Your Kidneys. Right now it's available on Amazon. And Barnes and Noble, both on okay. the websites. Um, you can go to a if you have a local bookstore, you can, and they they probably won't carry it right away, but you can order it from them. They uh, it's available through the distributors that most independent and big bookstores use. So they'll if you went in and said, "Hey, can you get this book for me?" They would order it. If you case you know, some people don't like to order online, I had actually one person from a, group, a kidney friendly group ask me that and. I suggested they do it. And then that's, so that's a possibility. So Amazon.com has it, uh, Barnes and Noble has it on their website, or you could just ask a local retailer, a new bookstore retailer. They should be able to find it. It's good. It's printed with a, a group, a large group of a small uh, so, publishers. So maybe to wrap up the show, cause you have the book, what would you make me if I was coming over for dinner to this weekend? I, you know, as a, as a person who's been involved in cooking for so long, I tend to try to assess each person and what they like. And what they don't like. But one of the first things that I try, I would do, it, it, because it, it is a general rule, is probably make them one of the very, the very first recipe in the book, especially if they were a kidney type, you know, there's kidney related issues. And the first recipe is a very, very easy to make and very simple recipe. And it's um, a lemon parmigiana pasta. And what we do is instead of a red sauce, we make a pasta dish and we just use very good olive oil, very good fresh lemon added. So rather than use your lemon oil that you bought, mm-hmm. I actually take a fresh lemon and I teach you how to extract the flavors from the rind and also to get it from the inside. So, you know, the peel you can use or grater and how to add a little onions and how you can change the flavor of the onions from raw to sweet by sauteing them. It gives you a lot of good mm-hmm. tipping, a good uh, information um, and because a lot of patients uh, with kidney failure also tend to be diabetic, it points out something I think that's really interesting and not well established, even though there has been multiple research studies done about this. And that is, if you take a pasta and you cook it and you add sauce and eat it, it's going ha- to give you a certain amount of carbohydrates causing 
you know, a rise in your sugar levels. If you take that pasta and then refrigerate it and then eat it cold the next day, there's a reduction of about 7% in how much of the carbs you absorb. Oh, wow. And if you take that same pasta after it's been cooked and refrigerated and then heat it up, you lose an additional 45 to 50% of the carbs. And the reason is that there's a change in the construct of the pasta and it starts to act like fiber in your body rather than an absorbable carbohydrate. So here you get this wonderful dish that tastes great using about four ingredients. So it's very simple. It teaches you how to use fresh ingredients. And then you find a technique to both extract decent flavors from these onions and also how to lower the um, carbohydrates that you intake. So and, and so it gives you so many different pieces of information and it could be, it's so healthy for you. Well, and the thing about, you know, I've never heard that about uh, pasta. Uh, and I think what's interesting is I always like pasta when I bring it home, put it in the fridge and heat it up the next day. I, I don't know. I always think it tastes better. It's like the flavor, I always say the flavors are more melded together or yeah, something like that. Yeah, the sauce absorbs into the pasta a little more. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's some, and, and the interesting about the book is every time I make, I, I state a claim like this, and even you, you just mentioned, I've never heard of that. So many people, People have been doubtful, but I, I quote the studies and I give you the research. So if you are a technical person and or a, let's say a dietitian who wants to verify all the research is in there, I and you know so I give you a recipe, I give you that kind of little cooking tip and then a little food science tip, and I tell you where you can verify it so that you know that it's not me making things up in my kitchen. Well, I think that's awesome because you know we all need to reduce our carb level. I'm not diabetic, but hey. That's a good option um, to right, consider. Especially for kidney patients or, you know, in general. And, and each recipe has these very uh, thorough and complete charts that tells you how much of everything is in each ingredient and as the recipe as a whole and then each portion and gives you portion size. So rather than just the standards of, let's say, potassium and protein and uh, phosphorus when they can find it, I'm giving you saturated fats, you know, fats, saturated fats. Vitamins A, E, K, et cetera, Bs, um, carbs. And so you can really begin to understand and we can verify each recipe. So if, it, if your dietitian needs to review it, they can see the actual data that's drawn from the USDA websites. You know, this is very, very, I think it's more of a, it can be both educational it's when you get introduced to kidney disease. It can be helpful when you're as a patient in the kitchen and it can be a resource for those people who are in the profession, such as dietitians and even nephrologists. Exactly. Thank you so much, John, for all of your knowledge and sharing your book, Cooking for Your Kidneys. Uh, I think I've learned quite a bit here on this interview. And if you're interested in John's book, please go to Barnes or Noble or Amazon and type in Cooking for Your Kidneys. Um, I forgot to mention there is a website, cookingforyourkidneys.com, which can also help you see some videos we've created for some samples and also uh, help direct you to find a way to buy the book. Okay, great. Well, visit cookingforyourkidneys.com. Learn more about what John um, can, I, and I watched the video. It's, it's a nice production. Uh, Thank you. You know, start cooking. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. 
Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.